Hi there, Randy Heckman here, and a little bit different on this podcast. I feel led of the Lord to go back into our records a little bit and pull up a a wonderful interaction that I had with a dear mentor and friend, Dr. Bill Brownson. Now, Bill is He's passed on a number of years ago. He died at the age of 93, but a number of years before he passed, I had a great interaction with him, but he was such an example to me in the area of prayer, revival, trusting the Lord, just being all in with with Jesus, and I think you're going to really enjoy uh, this podcast. Let me tell you just a little bit more about Bill. He uh, was a doctor. in uh, the area of, of ministry. He's a longtime voice of the West Michigan-based radio ministry, Words of Hope, that many of you are aware of. He's a former seminary professor. When he, he passed away at the age of 93 in the year 2022, but before that, I was able to get to know him, and I so appreciated his love of the Lord, his love of prayer, and his desire for revival and spiritual awakening. Uh, following seminary training, he served as two uh, in two different churches as pastors, moved to Holland, Michigan, 1964, became professor of preaching at Western Theological Seminary there, and involved in the Words of Hope ministry, which he joined in the early 1970s. There, he anchored, in addition to being on the air, he anchored hundreds of weekly radio broadcasts and wrote devotionals for the ministry's printed outreach before he retired in 1994. He authored many books, maybe the most well-known of which is one called Billy and Dave, which is a memoir written with his wife, Helen, about their life journey with her sons, Billy and David, who sadly died in 1977 and 2003, respectively. He was a familiar and beloved figure, especially in Reformed Church circles, served as president of the denomination's General Senate in 1984. And so I think you're going to enjoy as I interact with him. It's an audio uh, interaction. We'll have his face shown on the video portion of our podcast. But just to hear his heart for the Lord and for prayer, for revival, I think you're going to be encouraged as I am every time I hear it. God bless. Well, we welcome a good friend, somebody actually I met fairly short time ago, but it's one of those people that when you meet him uh, and he meets you, you feel like, I've known this guy for most of my life, and that's Dr. Bill Brownson. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Do you feel the same way? I feel very much that way. I've only known you a few days but I feel like it was a lifetime. (laughs) Well, let me tell you a little about Dr. Bill Brownson. He was the voice of Words of Hope for many, many years. He's been a pastor, a professor at Western Seminary. He's authored 26 books. He's done just a ton of things. But there's a couple of things that uh, really get to me. One of those is he is at a young age of 89 at this point, but he continues to participate and compete in the Senior Olympics, including throwing the javelin, and he runs the 100-meter dash in what kind of time, Bill? 
About 20 seconds. Unbelievable. I don't know if I could do that, and I'm a few years younger than you. But what really gets me excited about you is that you've been praying for revival and spiritual awakening of West Michigan for more than 50 years. And in a way, that got started when you heard a guy that we both admire and we both have met, Dr. Bill Bright, who's now with the Lord. Dr. Bright, of course, founded Campus Crusade for Christ, which was, uh, humanly speaking, responsible for my wife coming to Jesus Hmm. and was also the organization at which my wife and I met a number of years ago. So it's got a a real special place in our heart. But you heard Dr. Bright when he was in West Michigan over 50 years ago. And what did he say? Yes, I was in a group with several people, and I had great regard for Bill Bright because of his marvelous ministry. And I heard him say that he believed that West Michigan is the most significant base on the planet for evangelizing the world. Do you have any idea why he may have said that? He didn't explain why. I thought about it. I think he knew there were evangelical churches here. He knew there were Christian educational institutions. He knew there were publishing houses, and there was a great deal of material wealth And I think he believed that if God would set all this ablaze, it could touch the whole world. Well, that certainly has been your prayer since then, hasn't it? It has. And that's been how many years ago? That's over 50 years ago that Mm. I heard him speak that. And uh, when I came, I, I was teaching at Western Seminary, and I was teaching courses in prayer because I believed that every preacher to be effective and passionate and fruitful, needs to be a person of prayer. So you began to pray into what Dr. Bright expressed, that is, God, bring revival, bring awakening, start it here, start it with us. How did you keep that passion alive for over 50 years? Well, I started several prayer meetings 40 years ago. One was with a group of people in Hope College and Western Seminary. Another was with a bunch of good friends that I had, I remembered what the Church of the Savior said about issuing a call. And I wanted to have a band of people praying with me. And so I thought about people I might ask, and I asked a number. Some couldn't do it or weren't really interested. Some responded. And those two prayer meetings have both been going on for 40 years. Wow. The original ones have sometimes gone on to glory. And in one of them, there are two of us that are still in the original group. In another one, there are four of us. But we, we've been seeking God for this area and for the mighty moving of God in the whole area around us for those years. Wow. Now, prayer hasn't always been at the top of your list of what you've wanted to do. If we really scroll back the years to to when you first came to Christ and so on. Isn't that true? Yes. When I came to Christ, I was just 16 years old. I came from a wonderful, loving family, only nominally Christian. We were in a church that had very little gospel. I hated to go to church. I used to get jobs on Sunday morning so I wouldn't have to go I uh, delivered papers, early morning papers. I took care of a paper route. I loved sports. And uh, one night, a friend of mine, about a year older than I was, who was a real Christian, talked to me under a streetlight. 
was about four houses down from my house, across from a firehouse. But there I was, and my buddy and I, and he asked me what I thought it meant to be a Christian. I didn't have the foggiest idea. Then he told me who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the dead. He was alive, and if I would believe in him and receive him into my life, I would be forgiven. I would have the gift of eternal life. And he gave me one scripture verse. I'm amazed that he chose this one and amazed at what it meant to my life. This is the verse, John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he would give you. Mm. Well, from that day on, I was a different person. Wow. One of the things that happened when I believed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit came into my life, I began to love the Bible. I had never read the Bible much at all before, but I couldn't get enough of it. I began to have a desire to share the good news with other people. I'd never even thought of that before. And also, I had a desire to pray. I began to love to come into the presence of God, to love to praise God, to be with God. All that happened when I was converted. When I went away to college, I prayed about where I should go. I went to a college called Davidson down in North Carolina. Right away, I started memorizing large tracts of Scripture. I memorized the Sermon on the Mount, the whole letter to the Philippians, the eighth chapter of Romans. I was just memorizing Scripture all the time, and I was developing in the life of prayer. Had a time when I would neglect prayer, and I would feel really guilty. I'd go out in the stadium under the stars and confess my failure and get started again. Then I talked to an older guy who was known to be or believed to be a spiritual leader on the campus. I said, you know, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Well, he said to me, yeah, sometimes we all feel that way, but don't sweat it. Wait till the feeling comes back. I found that was the worst advice I ever got. <laughs> because if I, if I didn't pray and I felt bad, it didn't help me to wait. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading these things in the Scripture. The first part of Psalm 145 and 146, where the psalmist says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and bless your name forever and ever. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Well, I thought, he's not waiting for a feeling. He's going to praise God. He's going to pray because God is worthy because go. he's so great and mm. so gracious. And that sort of changed my life. And then I read also in John 4 how the Father is seeking those who will worship him. And I thought my devotions is not just a spiritual exercise to keep me going, but it's something that means something to God. It's my appointment with the mm. Lord of the universe. And ever since I realized that, I never have wanted to miss that appointment with God to pray every day of my life. So you see it not only that uh, it, it's, it blesses you, obviously, but you are able to bless God. Yes. He, he wants a relationship with us. Yes. You know, I have a, I'm a doer, you know, by nature. And I typically say, okay, God, 
watch me. I'll, I'll do this and impress you, God. And my wife tells me, and she's totally right. She says, look, Randy, God loves your heart. He wants you to get close to him. In fact, he's told me, he says, do you really want to see revival and spiritual awakening come to West Michigan? I say, yes, you know I do, Lord. You've put that desire in my heart. He says, okay, the most important thing you can do is to rest in me and love me. And Randy, if you're not doing that, all your activity will be worthless. Yeah. We're to be, first of all, worshipers and then workers. That is powerful. You know, I had a time in my college life when I was feeling really down because in sports, I wasn't doing well. In my studies, I wasn't doing as well as I could. And in my spiritual life, I was neglecting things. And I went over to a a room in the main building on the campus. Nobody was around. And I got down on my knees and I lamented my failures and all these things. And after I'd done that, it just seemed like God said to me, Bill, you're right. You have failed and you always will apart from me, but I'm with you. So get up and go on. So I got up and I went on. And then after that, I began to have a witness at the college. I had some buddies that uh, I was in their room one night and uh, I saw some pornographic material there and I was kind of shocked and disappointed. So I started talking to these guys. Their names were Auburn and Al. And I said, you know, if you invite Jesus into your life, he'll forgive everything that's been amiss and everything that's messing up your life now and before long, all three of us were down on our knees, and Auburn and Al invited Jesus to come into their hearts. Wow, that's so great. I was so thrilled. I walked back to my room on the campus. My feet hardly touched the ground. I could hardly sleep that whole night because it was the first time I had ever seen anybody come to Christ through my witness. Mm. And then there were others, and uh, that made me realize the wondrous joy of sharing the gospel and the fact that it's only as we pray much for the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that. Bill, as you look realistically at the Church of West Michigan, we're talking Holland, Zealand, Muskegon, Grand Rapids, and everywhere in between. What is your sense as far as the, the spiritual temperature of the church at this point? In other words, we we're praying for awakening. We're praying for many to come to Christ, but Are we where we need to be, in your opinion, at this point? No, I don't think where we need to be. I'm thankful for every evangelical church in this area, and there are a bunch of them, and a number of them are doing a good job. But I don't think many have caught the passion of prayerfulness. And I was saying to you earlier that uh, the Reformed and Christian Reformed churches, which I'm close to, have not always placed much emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and have not placed a great deal of emphasis on prayer. When I came to teach at Western Seminary, there was no course on prayer. I started one. I had one as long as I was there. I asked some guys who went to Calvin Seminary if they had courses on prayer, and they didn't. And I thought, this is a weakness in our churches. In the church I'm in now, I have wanted to see for a long time a rising tide of prayer, of 
passion to pray because I know that praying churches become the evangelizing churches and the mission-sending churches and the loving and welcoming churches, and I want my church to be like that. Speak for a moment then to, to leaders, church leaders, as far as what you might suggest they would do to get their church more to be a praying church. Well, I would say it has to start with the leader of the church. And that's why when I came to Western Seminary years ago to teach preaching, I determined that in addition to teaching preaching, I was going to teach prayer. Because I believe that the only preachers who preach with passion and power are the preachers who are much given to prayer. Mm. So it really needs to start at the top, doesn't yes. it? Yes. I mean, for for pastor to say, yeah, you go to, ought to go to the prayer meeting, but then the pastor doesn't show up, that sends a pretty strong message as, as to the value and the priority of it. Yes, and I think a pastor needs to disciple some people close to him in the life of prayer. I love Robert Coleman's book on the master plan of evangelism, how Jesus ministered to the multitudes, but he poured his life into the few. And every pastor needs to do that, to pour his life into a few who will become disciples and disciple makers, become prayers and teachers and examples of prayer. Let's say that you could talk to every follower of Jesus Christ in West Michigan right now. What would you want to say? I would ask them to think about the prayer life of Jesus, to see how he would get up a great while before day and go out to a solitary place and pray, how after he was ministering to the multitudes, teaching, healing, delivering, he would go off to a a lonely place and give himself to prayer. That was the heart of his ministry. Before he chose the 12 disciples, He spent the whole night in prayer to God. And I would say to all of you who want to be followers of Jesus, one of the great ways you can follow Jesus is to make prayer a central, commanding reality in your life. What else would you like to to express that I have not asked you? Well, I could speak about some great prayers I've been led recently to pray. Here's a passage that I go over every day in my prayers— It's Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. And we pray to God that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll work in the hearts of all his people so that Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith and will be rooted and grounded in love and will be able to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge may be filled to all the fullness of God. And then... Something follows this that has just captured my mind and heart. Paul writes this, To the one who is able by the power at work within us to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. As I studied that, I realize that whatever I can ask or imagine, God is able to do, and more than that, abundantly more than that, super abundantly more than that. So I ask myself, what can I pray that will be the greatest blessing to the world and give the greatest glory to God? And I came up with three great petitions. I call them my humongous 
petitions <laughs> of God. Here's the first one. I pray for the greatest spiritual awakening the United States have ever experienced. We've had some. I'm praying for the greatest one. I believe that what this world needs is a strong, healthy, godly America. We did so much for the world. If it wasn't for America, we wouldn't won the, have won the two world wars. We'd still be in bondage to some kind of power. We've had amazing influence, but we've been in great spiritual decline. And now there are so many godless, anti-Christian forces that want to remove all mention of God from the public square, want to get all chaplains who preach the gospel out of the military and out of the prisons. And we are in severe decline. And the only thing that will move things in a new direction is a mighty spiritual awakening. So I'm praying for this to happen, that God will send such an awakening, such a purifying, such an empowering to the church, that the church will be God's instrument in convicting the surrounding populace of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And there will be millions of our fellow Americans who pass from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, who come to faith in Jesus, to repenting and believing. That is the great thing that will happen in the awakening. And also that the fear of God will come upon all the dimensions of our society, upon the political realm. I pray for the power of God, the fear of God to come upon our president and our vice president and the members of the cabinet, upon our senators, upon our representatives, our Supreme Court justices. I pray that the governors of the states and the state legislatures will be touched by the fear of God that the mayors of the great cities and the councils, that every one of these people in political power may know himself or herself accountable to God, answerable to God, that what they do will be for the benefit of the country and not for their own personal advantage. And I pray that the same thing will happen in the halls of academia, that in colleges, high schools, universities, graduate schools, even grammar schools, the fear of God will come to the halls of learning where there's so much arrogant unbelief. There will come again worship and reverence and faith and the sharing of the gospel with others so that our whole academic climate will change. And I pray that for the field of entertainment too, that everything at Hollywood, everything over the internet will change. There'll be a new conscience about what should be presented to the people, that we won't be the expression of Satan that many people in the world believe us to be because of all of our pornography, because of the unimaginable filth that we spread out through all the world, and that there'll be a new conscience, a new fear of God in what we present for entertainment that will change And it'll be the things that are true and pure and beautiful and wholesome and right that will be coming forth from the entertainment and the publication world. I pray the same for the financial world of our country, that the fear of God will come to Wall Street, where there's so much colossal greed, and that instead of a colossal greed, or at least along with it, 
there may come amazing generosity. There are people on Wall Street who have the resources to solve world hunger, to provide clean water for all the peoples of the world if they just invested their resources in the technology and the effort to be able to do that. So I pray that everybody with great wealth in our country will know that they are debtors to a world in need and will begin to share in huge ways for the need and brokenness of the world. So that's what I ask for the United States of America. The second one is that God will do something like that in every other nation in the world. One of the great texts that I base my prayers on is Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven. This is the psalm about all the sufferings of Jesus. Then it comes to this triumphant conclusion. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before him. Imagine that. If all the ends of the earth would remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations would worship before him. That hasn't happened yet. But God has promised that it will. He'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. All nations will come and bow down before him. All peoples will praise him. The light of the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So I pray that in every nation, in every people group, there will be unprecedented ingatherings of new believers Amen. to faith in Jesus. Amen. That God will send out laborers to his harvest field in all these places. That the Holy Spirit will move. There will be mighty movements of the Holy Spirit in bringing multitudes to faith in Jesus. That's my second prayer. And then the third prayer is that God will look upon the murderous forces in the world and restrain them. All authority belongs to Jesus. He, by his life of obedience, his dying for our sins, his triumphant resurrection, has destroyed the devil's power and spoiled principalities and powers so that it's within the Lord's right and command and power to restrain the evil forces. So I pray he'll restrain every expression of Islamic terrorism by whatever name, all of that seeks to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil's work. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. So I pray that he'll restrain every expression of that terrorism. Mm. I pray that he'll restrain the evil of Russian aggression and hostility toward the other nations. He'll bring that down, hold that back. I pray that he will restrain the malevolence of Iran toward Israel and toward the U.S., the hatred that schemes to be able to steal, kill, and destroy, restrain it. Restrain the madness and threats of North Korea that is such a danger to the whole world. And I, I believe that in those prayers, I am really praying the Lord's Prayer. I'm saying, God, let your name be glorified in all the earth. Let your kingdom come and not the kingdoms of earth. Let your will be done and not the murderous forces in the world. Let everyone know forgiveness and the power to forgive and the power of God to deliver them from every evil. So these are the things I pray for. 
And I want to see the church praying for these big things to the great God for whom nothing is too hard. I love it. Bill, even though we've met a short time ago, Bill, you are an encouragement to me, an inspiration to me. And uh, and it's just so delightful for, for me to be able to meet you and hear your heart because it just so resonates with, with what God is putting on my heart. And it encourages me to pray those big prayers along with you and along with so many others in West Michigan yes. that are doing the same. We're going to see it. Ha- I believe we're going to see it happen, don't you? I do. I do. I believe the great awakening is soon to come. Yes. Amen, amen, amen. It's also very helpful to bring churches together. Yes. We often ask people this kind of trick question. How many churches are there in West Michigan? And they <laughs> scratch their head and we say, no, 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 one, one, one true church. church. Yes. And yes. we need to work together with such power. If you read John 17, the power we have is, is to, to uh, follow through and, and answer that prayer of Jesus that we be one. Yes. This may they be perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me, says Jesus. Yes. So that's, it's so impressing on us the need that we realize there is just one church. Amen. We're not a group of people competing with, with each other to try to get members. We're all expressions of the one body of Christ. And the more we can express, as you've just said, our unity as believers— the more the world will come to know that the Father sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Bill Brownson, for being with me today. It's been wonderful. It's been a joy for me. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.